If you got a Bible nearby, let's go to Luke chapter 9. As you, uh, as you know, uh, Wednesday begins uh, the season of Lent, um, and uh, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, very much uh, an important season for the for the church calendar. Um, a couple of years ago, we started. Uh, really just looking more and more into Advent historically and how that season uh, leading up to uh, the celebration of the the uh, coming of, of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus, uh, what that looks like in the history of the church and how that should look in a modern church um, setting. And uh, and so those couple of weeks, I feel like especially over the, especially this last one for some reason, it seems to be uh, the more the more consistently we walk in um, like the real spirit of Advent, it seems like it kind of changes Christmas for us um, in a number of ways. And so um, with this season coming up of, of Lent, uh, we're not going to have like, you know, like a Lent conspiracy or anything like that uh, that we're going to be a part of. Uh, and, and really, it won't be talked about much after tonight. Um, you know, when we get closer to Easter, of, of course, but it just kind of felt like um, since it's starting on Wednesday, and we kind of needed to, to kind of get our bearings together on that, and and maybe should just use a push into something that we, as the ring, have never really, uh, really ventured into a whole lot. Um, so Lent is uh, it's forty days. Uh, it's actually forty six days, but they don't count Sunday. Um, so it's forty six days before Easter uh, every year. Uh, it's been around for a long, long time. Um, the number 40 uh, is pretty significant in the Bible. Um, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Israelites in the desert for 40 years. Uh, but this particular, the reason why this one is 40 is it's connected to Jesus' uh, time in the desert before his public ministry began, when he fasted and prayed for 40 days, uh, where he was tempted, you know, and all that, that kind of stuff. And so um, historically it is, um, is stepping into uh, like kind of a, a like preparation and focus time headed toward the celebration of Easter. Um, but not just, when I say Easter, I don't just mean Easter Sunday. Uh, I mean the, uh, you know, Gethsemane and the betrayal and the trial and the, um, you know, the, the beating and the flogging um, and the crucifixion and the days in the tomb and the resurrection. I mean, that's all included in one thing. And so uh, what... What happens in the church calendar is, uh, at some point, some people were like, hey, the incarnation is too important for us just to be like, hey, Easter's in a couple of days. I mean, Christmas in a couple of days. We should probably start thinking about it. So the church said, we're going to take this designated time, and for these couple weeks, we're going we're gonna to be on a path together going toward that celebration. That's what Lent does the same thing. It says, hey, um, Jesus spent 40 days prepping for his public ministry, 
Um, we're going to spend 40 days of fasting and praying uh, like he did, and um, we're going to do that in preparation to go into Easter um, to kind of to bring out uh, meaning in it, yes, but also just as a connection point for us. Um, it's It would be so easy to just go through Christmas as usual, Easter as usual, those kinds of things. Um, and so uh, the church for, for, I mean, hundreds of years has been celebrating uh, getting ready for Easter in this way by preparing the mind and the heart. Um, and so um, I don't know uh, about you, if you grew up in a, in a church tradition where Lent is observed. I did not. I know a lot of folks did not. Um, my only real recognition of it was that certain times of the year there were kids who couldn't eat certain things. And that's all I knew. And I'm like, why don't you, dude, you're not going to eat that, you know, I'm going to eat that cake? And I'm like, no, I gave it up for Lent. Baptist kid has no idea what that means. All it means is I can have his cake. And that's pretty much, you know, for me as a kid, that's all I knew is this, you have to give up stuff for Lent. And so I never got a good explanation because probably because I was talking to other kids and kids don't always explain things well. And so just kind of came up along and that's how it went. And I knew that Lent uh, started on Ash Wednesday, um, which is why people go absolutely crazy on Tuesday and Monday and Sunday and Saturday and Friday and weeks uh, leading up to it. And so I knew that's where like Carnival and Mardi Gras came from. And I knew that all my friends who grew up Catholic would come to church, uh, go, come to school on Wednesday with, with the mark of the sign of the cross on their forehead. I didn't know why. I never wanted to ask for some reason. Uh, I was very inquisitive as a kid, but I, I kind of drew the line when it came to be like, hey, what's that all about, you know? Um, and so I just didn't understand it for so long. Um, and, and I feel like there's a lot of people uh, in, in our culture down here who are kind of in the same boat. You know that Lent, you know you give up stuff for Lent. You know it has to do with Easter. You know it starts on Ash Wednesday. Um, and uh, for most people who come from a Protestant tradition, that's kind of where it ends. Um, and so what I'd like to do tonight is to hopefully maybe kind of recapture uh, a, a little bit of, of that. Um, and for us to really uh, to know what it is, but also to re- realize the benefit. Um, looking back, that saints hundreds of years ago decided, like, hey, this needs to happen. This is, this is important. And so ever since then, it's been a big part of the church calendar. For some reason, it hasn't been a part of ours, and maybe that will change. Um, so let's, let's look at, at Luke chapter 9, um, where I think, I think the spirit of Lent, uh, regardless of tradition, regardless of where you come from or how much you knew, uh, if you knew more than me or less than me or whatever, regardless of all that, um, the spirit of Lent, I think, can be found in a couple of places. Uh, this is probably one of my favorites. Um, so Jesus is talking and, um, he had just like predicted his death. So it's, it's, it's about to get real. And Jesus then like makes a really interesting statement. Um, verse 23, he says, uh, he said to all, so not just to the disciples, just to, to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, it's interesting. We're just going to, Dave, let's just leave 23 up there for a long time. Um, it's interesting that he starts off and he says, if anyone would come after me, because that's, that's what the rabbi would say to um people who are trying to become his disciples. And so, you know, I've talked about this before, but um, we have to 
always remember that Jesus was a rabbi. He taught like a rabbi. He was treated like a rabbi. And so the way that it works is you have uh, you have these kids who who are discipled by their parents and all that stuff, and they get when they get like bar mitzvahed. Uh, that's how you use that word, not, but uh, there it is. Um, when the after their bar mitzvah, it's probably more proper. Um, they um, they begin to look for a rabbi to study under, and and so they uh, when they they find a rabbi that they are for some reason drawn to, they go to that rabbi and they say, "I would I would like to follow you." And what the rabbi does is the rabbi like kind of like sets out some terms, you know, like this is what it means to follow me. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. And then he uh, quizzes them. He starts asking them all about the Hebrew scriptures and all about, I mean, like just just drilling them to see if they are worthy of following him, in his opinion. And then some people make the cut and some people don't make the cut. And so um, we know that because the because when Jesus called his disciples, it was kind of a unique situation because, one, he went to them, which didn't, isn't how it worked. And because they were working in the family, like, businesses, like being fishermen or Matthew was a tax collector, because they were doing other things, it meant that they they had gone to a rabbi and the rabbi had said no. He said, you, you can't, you're not... You're not worthy to be one of my followers. Um, they called it a, a Talmudium. Like, you're not, you, you won't make the cut. And so when you didn't make the cut, you went on, you did something else. And so this situation is real interesting. So here, after Jesus has already, he already has the guys. Like, he went after them. He didn't quiz them. He didn't make them go through anything weird. He's like, stop what you're doing and come follow me. It was pretty cool to think about it. And so um, here, now he, he already he called his disciples, but he's always been very inclusive in those following him too. And so it starts out when it's, this is what he's telling all of them. After he already has this following, it's really like kind of unique because normally that would happen at the beginning of the relationship, but now it's getting toward the end. And now he's saying, okay, if you want to follow me, this is what it's going to take. So he, he tells them basically three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and just follow him. Now keep in mind, he's just told them that he's about to die. So that takes on a whole new meeting when this guy's like, hey, I'm about to be killed. Um, I'm gonna, don't worry, I'm going to rise from the dead, but I'm, I'm about to die. And if you want to follow me, then you just have to basically die too. Probably wasn't received as well. You know, probably wasn't. They weren't like going home and like cross stitching that on something that they were going to frame, you know, like, oh, what a great verse. It's like, no, this is a difficult verse. Like this, this in context is a, it's a rough thing. And so the reason why I, I feel like this text connects to Lent is because Lent is, is putting us like on the pathway to follow Jesus. It's us kind of getting our, our bearings and saying, okay, this is the way that we're going. There's lots of distractions, and there's lots. Life is pretty, pretty crazy, and all this kind of stuff. But this is the way that we're going, and so it's this intentional, like, orientation of our of our hearts and our minds and our our entire lives, like, in this direction of, like, Jesusness. I'm gonna make up a lot of words tonight. I'll just warn you. So, all right. So let's look at those. Look at those three things. Um, uh, let him deny himself, and this is typically. Um, 
like when it comes to Lent, this is a lot of, what a lot of people are familiar with, is the is there's a fasting element to it. Um, people give up something beginning Wednesday uh, and going all the way through Easter. Um, some traditions you can you can cheat on Sundays because sun, the six Sundays are like mini resurrections and there's just you know, just different things or whatever. Uh, and that's why people go crazy on Tuesday. It's like the night before you start a diet, you're just going to go nuts, right? Because uh, you know tomorrow I can't do this. That's kind of kind of what happens. Um, and so denying of yourself in a in a biblical sense it, it is like literally what it means. Uh, it's literally what it says. Like it's refusing the self-centered leaning that we all have. It's saying no. I I will not be self-reliant. I will not be a self-made man. I will not. Uh, dig my heels in and make this happen. Um, and you think about it in regard to salvation, it's it's denying yourself and your own ability to uh, earn the grace of God, to be good enough, to be righteous, to all that kind of stuff. And so you're you're saying you're saying no to everything in us that is such a part of how we seem to be wired up, uh, you know, from the beginning. And we're, you're, so you're denying yourself and you're saying yes to Him. It's basically uh, like saying. Uh, not my will, but your will be done. That's basically what he's telling him. The very thing he's going to pray before too long is a denial of self. And so, so with fasting, if you were to, to fast during, uh, during Lent, like if you were to give something up, there's, uh, there's something really important that we have to recognize about fasting. Uh, I, like, giving up something for Lent can be, like, so transformational, and it can also be so incredibly shallow. Um, if you want to give up carbs for Lent, uh, do it. As long as long as it accomplishes what the fasting of Lent is supposed to accomplish. Um, if you want to give up Facebook, uh, I read a real interesting blog the other day about how giving up Facebook for Lent misses the point of Lent. If you want to talk to me about it afterwards? I'll tell you that. Uh, but uh, some people give up Facebook or TV or different things, and some people they fast like certain meals. Um, they may fast lunch every day for 40 days. They may fast on a certain day or whatever. Um, what you fast is really not—it's not that crucial. Um, what is crucial is what does that fast produce in you and in me when when it's happening in the right way. It needs to produce um, an, an attentiveness to God. That is unique because of that fast. An attentiveness to Him. You don't just fast to fast. You fast for a reason, and the reason you fast uh, is like because you want to. You want to hear Him. You want to sense Him. You want to be aware of His nearness. You want to orientate yourself in His direction. And so, if giving up carbs can produce that in you, then give up carbs for Lent. And I don't, I, it's possible, I'm sure. And some people may make fun of it or whatever, but hey, is that going to produce that in you or not? I think a lot of times the reason why the things given up for Lent don't produce that attentiveness is because, because we ignore kind of the other side of the coin. Um, you almost never hear about fasting in the Bible where, where it's separate from prayer. It's always prayer and fasting, fasting and prayer. We're always together. And so fasting, um, this this abs- something being absent from your life, you're denying 
yourself something should somehow be coupled with prayer. And I think that's why uh, for so long like people fast meals because a meal takes time out of your day. And so what a lot of people have done traditionally is fasted a meal and instead of that time, instead of eating during that time, you are like you're, you spend that time in prayer. I mean, it's just that simple. Take out your 30-minute lunch break and insert 30 minutes of Jesus' time in the middle of the day. They go together. And if you're praying for attentiveness, that you would be as attentive to God in that moment as you are attentive to the, how hungry you are, like that's, that's what you're going for. You're saying, I want to crave you the way I'm craving food in this moment. I think that's why food fasts are so incredibly effective because you can give up some things and just substitute them real easily. But you can't ignore that stomach. You can't ignore the, the, like, the physical, you know, effects that it has, the headache that you get at some point. You, you can't ignore that. And so it's just this real steady reminder of what you're doing and, and why you're doing it. Say, so I want it to produce this attentiveness in me. Some other things that traditionally gone along with Lent, um, one of them is, uh, is, is a particular emphasis on giving and like charitable giving. And so some people have gone, have added one more thing to fasting a meal. They've said, I'm not going to eat during this time, but instead I'm going to pray. And they say, and the money I would have spent on that meal, I'm going to, I'm going to set that aside. So you pile up that money and at the end of Lent or whatever, you like, you give that to the church. And this, that's not my fundraising attempt or anything. I'm just telling you. That's how, what a lot of people do. Uh, and so, and that being like another way, another physical discipline that connects in with what's going on. Um, and kind of the fourth thing that you read a lot about is, uh, is basically, it's basically a confession. And I think that's a really unique kind of dynamic. Um, because if you are, if you're trying to orientate yourself in the, in a, an Easter, uh, an Easter, like the Passion Week, like all that kind of, if you're trying to orient, orient, Orient yourself in that direction. And confession is a part of that. What you're constantly doing is you're basically saying, like, I, I'm the reason why this happened. And not in a guilt trip kind of way. But just being like, man, this, this happened because of me. This happened in part for me. But Jesus being here at all is, so, like, I'm a part of that. He wouldn't have had to have gone to the cross if I wasn't contributing to sin. Like, that's what I bring to the table. I bring sin. He brings everything else. And so, to, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, for, for 40-something days, you're in that mode of, of reconnecting with the cross and the gospel. And I think that's, that's how it stops being guilty. It's real easy to be like, man, 40-something days of being like, it's my fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. Well, no, then you're like... You're, you're missing the, the, the point and you're missing the fact that we know the whole story. And so to be confessional in light of what we know that the Bible teaches is really beautiful because we're confessing things that we already know are forgiven, but we're acknowledging the weight and the value of the things that we're confessing. Like we know the end of the story, which is good, but it doesn't make the, the role that we play in it any less heavy. And so all four of those things really are, are like real practical ways 
of doing what Jesus is saying here. Saying you stop relying on yourself. You stop relying on, I mean, like, if you're doing a food fast, you're, in a sense, we're, we're relying on food to keep us alive. And I know God made us to eat. I, I understand that. But I understand, like, in a, in a different way of kind of reordering, when you don't eat, you're, in, in a sense, you're saying, I don't need to eat. What I, what I need first is you. Man does not live by bread alone, but on the very word of God. And so you're physically inserting into your life for a month a way of reminding yourself of that. Or whatever it is that you're fasting, you're, you're for one month, intentionally denying some part of self-reliance that, that has come to be formed in you. And you're saying no, 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 every day. And if you're praying, and if you're giving, and if you're confessing, I mean that like you have your sights set. And so I would imagine that if we, as a church, were super serious about this, um, it would make Palm Sunday and Passion Week and Good Friday and Good Saturday and Super Great Sunday completely, completely different. than if we were like, man, we got to try to fit church into Easter Sunday somewhere. So, deny yourself. Lent is a really practical time for us to do that. The second thing, he says, take up your cross. That's a... That's literally like pick up the crossbar and and carry it. So when as soon as he said take up your cross, they all they all knew because they had grown up watching criminals have to like pick up the crossbar of their own like instrument of death and carry it through the city uh, to the place where they crucified him. They they knew that's what happens. So he's just said he's going to die, and then he says take up your cross daily. What most people think this means is basically another way of saying. I want the will of God, no matter what the cost. And so you couple those together, it really is not my will, but your will be done, whatever that costs me. And so I don't think that means like you'd like to live the next, you know, 46 days or whatever, start Wednesday as a martyr, you know, of, of, like convinced of your own death. I don't think that. I think it's just a way of saying, no, 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 I, I want the will of God, and it's Whatever it costs me, it doesn't really matter. It may cost me money. It may cost me a job. It may cost me friends. It may cost me comforts or whatever. It may cost me success by the world standard. It doesn't really matter. I just want the will of the Father. And so I'm denying my self-reliance and placing all of my reliance on Him. Whatever that means, every day I'm picking it up. It's a beautiful thought. I mean, like you think about it, but if you... If you try to get in the minds of his hearers that day, it really changes things a lot. Because he wasn't saying figuratively pick up the cross. In their culture, that really meant something. And not too far from this point, it's going to really mean something. So I wonder if those hearers who were here on this particular day watched him go through all that stuff and it just took on new meaning and new meaning and new meaning. And I think that's the spirit of Lent. I think that's what it's about. Is we're here a couple weeks out. We're like, okay, take up your cross, take up your cross. But think about the evolution of what that meant inside them as they watched it happen. I think there is a a deepening and a value that comes from that kind of devotion and that kind of focus. And that that I mean, that kind of excites me to. To know, especially for a church kid who's been been through my share of, of Easter's, 
like, man, maybe this could really like change something. Maybe this could change my Easter the way Advent has changed my Christmas. Oh, it's pretty exciting. Um, you just deny yourself, take up your cross daily. All right, not once, every day. And this is a follow me. Now, for the for a rabbi and his Talmudium, they like literally followed him around. And uh, a couple years ago, you guys beautifully sent me to Israel, which is phenomenal. And like you would see, like there's like a rabbi and there's like his, his disciples, and it'd be like these, you know, these like ten, you know, like teenagers like following him around. And like if he stopped, they stopped. And if he went left, they went left. And he would stop and he would talk to them, and they're you know soaking up everything that he said. And the I mean. You wanted to be like, I mean, and it was funny to watch them. They didn't like kind of trickle behind. I mean, they were like right up on top of them. Every word, every action, every whatever, they wanted to, to imitate it and be just like them. And that's discipleship. And this little, little side note, that's what discipleship is. And that's something we're trying to get, figure out more about. Um, but that's that's how it works. You take a young person and you see an older person, and you're like, I want my life to turn out like their life. And you go to them and you say, I'm, I want to be like you. When, when can you teach me that? When, when can we sit down and, and you just learn me some stuff about you? Like, I, I, you say it, I'll be there. And then, you know, I found the problem usually isn't, it's not with the eagerness of younger people, it's the reluctance of the older people. I love the fact that rabbis were like, oh, you don't want to follow me. No, not me. I'm not, the right, I'm not that great. You want to follow that guy. Now they're like, all right, this is what it's going to take. That's the kind of boldness we need from our adults to not like shy away. I'm like, well, I've got my own problems, kid. I'm like, okay, you want to be, you want to be like me? I, I messed up a lot. So if you, if you learn well from mistakes people have made, I'm your guy. And that's what we need. Like that's, it needs, it takes all of that happening. And so adults, if you have a college student that walks up to you, don't get freaked out when they tell you this. I've already told them. I've already given them permission. And so Jesus says, if you are willing to do this, then you just got to follow me. You just got to follow after, like literally just walk with me. And people did. People just followed him around everywhere. And he taught them. And he hung out with them. And they learned all kinds of stuff that he invested in their lives. And all it takes is not my will, but your will. Now let's go. And that's what Lent does is we, we, we kind of get our bearings and we look straight ahead and we follow him into that. And I think, I think there are plenty of times when like salvation is depicted as something that we, like, oh man, we sure got out of that, didn't we? We sure got out of that wrath. That was awesome. But I think there's something to be said for experiencing the life of Christ. Because um, when he says, follow me, can you imagine like, like literally following around someone who is absolutely perfect in every way and then having them say, and now I'm going to die so you don't have to. I mean, what, what injustice that must be. And so I think Lent is also a time where we, we step into that story and we experience him in a new way. And we are, are saying, if I'm going to follow him, I'm going I'm to follow his life. 
I'm literally going to just go right behind him. I'm going to see what it's like to watch the perfect Son of God have all the sins of humanity poured onto him and all the wrath that comes after it. I'm going to watch that happen. I'm going to experience that and realize that I put him there. But for the glory of God and for my redemption, he stepped in, did what only he could do. And so whatever that takes, I'm going to follow him. And so if that means I'm, you know, 46 days of self-denial and taking up my cross and orienting myself toward that and focusing my life and setting my face toward, toward that, then I'm going to do that. Because I want to know what my Savior experienced. I want to know, I want to see his heart. I want to, I want to value the gospel and value the cross and value salvation more than I do right now. And I want that to spill into my life and to continue to change my life. Um, later in this chapter, uh, there's this verse. Um, verse 53 says this. It says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Like he, he oriented himself in that direction. And, that, and that's, that's Lent. That's us saying life is full of things that don't matter. Um, here's a season for us to set our faces toward what does matter. Say that's, that's the cross. That's sin. That's uh, substitution. That's glory. That's love. That's all that stuff for us to set our faces in that direction and say that's, that's where we're going. And the empowerment of God, like in our self-denial, um, for him to, to bring about that attentiveness to us. And as, we're, as our attentiveness grows, we're, we're able to, to be more sensitive to the beauty of the gospel message. So I think that's, that's Lent for us. The possibilities are just tremendous. And so I know it doesn't start till Wednesday, but we're going to kind of start in our minds and our hearts tonight. We're just going to sing a little bit before we go, you know, like we usually do, and kind of let some things be sealed up. Um, but that's that's hopefully where we're going. So uh, let's pray together. The band's going to come. Tell you what, let's let's stand together. Why don't you just take a second and just, just maybe just kind of process a little bit of the idea of denying yourself and taking your cross up. Kind of what that means to you at this point.
maybe just just pray that God would take your um, your understanding of the gospel and the cross, maybe how much you value it, and that He would would deepen that in the coming weeks as we set our faces toward the passion events. Father, we, we love you so much, and uh, we're grateful for all the things you have done in our lives, the way that you have uh, you've extended that call to follow you to all of us, and that none of us uh, you looked at and said, well, you've got to get this straight and this straight and this fixed first, that you just uh, you call us just like we are, but you also tell us that we're not going to stay like we are. And so everybody in this room is open to that same invitation. We pray that as, um, as this season begins in the life of the church and as, uh, as we look down the road, it seems so far away, but leaves a lot of room for you to do some work in us. So I pray that we would um, we would not wait till Wednesday to begin to deny ourselves to take up our crosses every day and to follow you. No matter what that means, no matter what that looks like. Pray that you would deepen our understanding of the cross, that we would we would value it more and more each day. That it would not just become some old story, some part of an old hymn, that we'd realize that each and every day is different because of what you have done.